Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to everybody who's listening except for you Jack Scop if you're listening to this. I bet he is listening to this. <laughs> Do you think he's listening to this? I bet he is. I bet he can't stay away from media about him. I bet he I hope he's listening to this because today um my name is Gavi by the way. I'm here with my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter. That's me. Today we're talking about Jack Scott because he's been out of prison for a minute and he's been keeping a low profile and we're we're we, we've got some stuff to say and we've been we've been looking into some stuff about him yeah so in in just to explain what this episode is today in real time we should both be back to our normal routines by now but in podcast time uh the week that we're recording we are both we both have trips planned this week and gavi is moving so Instead of skipping a week and leaving you without anything, we thought we would do something that we've been asked to do a lot and that is update you on the current Jack Scop situation. Yeah, we're recording this on the 29th of August. Uh so it's current up to the the end of August, beginning of September. Um and I don't know if anything's going to uh, like knowing us as soon as we record the episode 2 <laughs> days from now, we're probably going to see some Get on on Eric Skorzynski is going to say we found Jack Scop. We know what he's doing. We know where he is. Although I don't think Eric would. Good old uh, Eric Skorzynski always scooping us. No, like that's the thing though he is, is that he's fast. He's really good at finding out information. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, there's one of him. So like to record anything, there have to be two of us. So he has the edge when it comes to scheduling recording. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh I mean, we're so we're going to basically lay out a timeline of events of what we know and what we don't know and and what we speculate and what we think should happen or shouldn't happen 
or should have happened and hasn't happened basically for for all of the stuff that you need to know about Jack Scott since he got released from prison. But before we get into that, the Leaving Eden podcast is the podcast about my BFF and co-host Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. We talk about the real and present threat that cults and cult ideologies pose to society as a whole. And it is our goal to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you like our show, if you are a fan of our show, there's a couple of things that you can do. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can go and join our Patreon where there's extended versions of most of our episodes. I don't think today's episode is going to have an extended version because we're just really trying to get all the information out there that we feel like we need to get out there. But who knows? I mean, it, we, it's us. We're going to go on a tangent somewhere. <laughs> and even if there isn't an extended version, patrons will still get the episode a day early. That might happen. That might not happen today. But for every other episode that we do, it usually does happen. Um, anything else I need to say before I thank our Faith Promise Missions to your patrons? I think that's it. Okay, cool. I'm just going to do that and then um, we can get right into it because uh, we're trying to get through this real quick because, oh, man, busy week. But we have two I gave it all to your patrons, and those are Kathleen Moncrief and Melissa Mosley. I like, I just, my heart says thank you to both Kathleen and Melissa. I love the two of you as much as I love tiny cows which that's a lot like if you know anything about me i uh recently i've discovered that you can get like tiny cows as pets which are just like exactly the same as regular cows they're just really small and you can like walk them around like you've got a dog and they're really cute and i just like as soon as i saw them i'm just like this is my heart's desire so kathleen and melissa I love you as much as I love tiny cows. Um, Thank you so much to our I gave it all to your patrons. No, Sadie, you can confirm how much I love tiny cows. I can like, absolutely confirm how much you love tiny cows. Like how much of our like uh, all of our group chats and all of our like messages is how much of it is just me sending pictures of tiny cows that I saw on Instagram. A lot of it. And 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 we're in more than one group chat at this point yeah and all of them it's just like oh, tiny this cow is cute. spam yeah i mean it, there's worse things to be spammed but anyway thank you to our uh, i gave it all to your patrons uh amazing people our faith promise missions to your patrons you know these like the i i can love you guys too you guys are amazing um alex todd anisha patel Brittany, brooke tolly Carrie R, Krissa, Crystal Patterson, Eleanor Donahue, Elizabeth Dewarth, Emery Fairlosser, Ethan Hansen, not Evan Hansen, Ethan Hansen, Hannah Ross, Hope Norum, Jen Kaharski, Jessica Tambo, Kay Terwee, Catherine Schneider, Kristen Marie, Lauren Vanderwall. Oh, is that a new one? That is a new one. Lauren Vanderwall. Thank you so much. Linda Morgan, Lindsay Goss, Lorena Watson, Michaela Upright, Madeline Antrim, Madeline Cusick, Mariana Stuve. That's also a new one. That's just from a couple of days ago. Thank you, Mariana. Amazing. Mary Martin, 
Meg, Megan Arendt, two Megans. I'd, actually, I don't know if Meg is Megan. It could be Megor or. It absolutely could. It, it's true. Uh, Miranda Day, Rachel Bernadowitz, Rebecca Hoyt, Reverend Robert Stutes, Sarah Reese, Shane Horton, Stephanie Ann Johnson, Susie, Tiffany Enderby, Walnut, son of Walnut, Wes the Cowboy. And finally, I'm not going to say that we're not BFFs, Morgan, because I think we could get there. Really, Sadie, uh, I, can you make this? I do. I think I think you could get there. Okay. Well, I think that's my much goal. like um, batch, extremely old by this point, Bachelorette spoilers. Do do do. I think that much like Rachel and Tyler, maybe you're not BFFs right now, but I think you could have become P- BFFs, or maybe could in the future become BFFs. Well, that would be a nice thing to have happen. Um, Morgan, I know that you say on here that I'm not your BFF, but I'd like to extend an olive branch. Of course, we know BFF is a tier. And just because you're BFFs with Sadie doesn't mean that you can't also be BFFs with me. So um, anyway, that's our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons. Thank you so much. We love you all. Yeah, uh, Thank you amazing. so much to all of our Faith Promise tier Faith Promise Missions tier patrons, as well as to all of our patrons on Patreon from the from all the tiers. Uh, we really appreciate you and the value that you let us bring to this show. Really, the patrons like I would not we would not be able to do this show and devote the time that we do to this program to to this if it weren't for our patrons because it just would not be financially feasible for us to make that work. So thank you so much for for making it so that we can actually like do this Um, so now that we've talked about all of the wonderful people let's talk about a terrible person yeah so sadie give us a trigger warning for this episode absolutely because we're gonna need it so in general we talk about a lot of potentially triggering topics on this show including but not limited to suicide and mental health racism misogyny ptsd ptsd symptoms child abuse mental physical and sexual abuse and spiritual abuse including guilt shame and fear In most episodes, at least a couple of those topics will come up in conversation. What we try to do is avoid any graphic detail of any of those things unless it's highly relevant to the story that we're telling. And if it is relevant to the story we're telling, we'll give you a TW before it comes up so you can always skip a little bit if you need to. This episode is about Jack Scopp. He is a former pastor who served jail time for sex trafficking a minor. We do not have any reason to go into great detail about the elements and specifics of his crime on this episode we actually don't have a lot of information about the specifics which is good and fine because the victim was a minor the general topic of sexual abuse of a minor and sex trafficking will be throughout this this episode but that's about as graphic as we're going to get also spoiler alert he is not yet registered with the national sex offender registry And this is something that gives some people, including me, anxiety, especially those of us who knew him. So if that's a trigger for you, be aware it is the topic of this episode. But uh, we have maybe some hopeful news for you. Why don't I give like a rundown of uh, uh, or do you want to start out by giving basically the the short version of parts four and five of our first family of fundamentalism series? Because we did first family of fundamentalism like almost like two years ago yeah i'm gonna see if i can challenge myself on how quickly i can go without sounding like a side effects guy in the end of a medication commercial (laughs) 
So Jack Scopp took over the pastor position at First Baptist Church of Hammond after the death of his father-in-law, Jack Hiles, and he continued the legacy of Jack Hiles, including an obsession with the numbers and the size of the church, uh, including, of course, racist and misogynist and homophobic teachings. Um, He brought all of that into the 21st century. He at first seemed like a very normal uh, IFB pastor in his theology. He caused a splash with some things that he had to say about the inspiration of the King James Bible. But again, that's like a normal thing that fundies fight about. We uh, actually talked last week about Bob Jones Jr. and John R. Rice fighting over that exact thing like 40 years previous. He started going into some weird theology on marriage, and that's where his uh, downfall began, in my opinion. He had caused more and more controversy. He was getting more and more controversial from the pulpit. And then in the summer of 2012, suddenly it was revealed that he had in the words of the church, carried on an inappropriate relationship with a minor girl with whom he was in a counseling relationship. In the words of Leaving Eden podcast, he had sexually abused a minor because um, this young person was not able to consent because of her age, which was under 18, and her position relative to a pastor who had a lot of power over her. He had, unfortunately... This young person was over the age of consent in the state of Indiana, so he could... By less than 24 hours. By less than 24 hours, to the best of our knowledge. So he could not go to jail for their sexual interactions in particular. Uh, He did transport this young person to both Illinois and Michigan, for the purpose of sexual conduct, and that is what he was able to be prosecuted for. Actually, it's sex trafficking, although, of course, it is our feeling that he should have been able to be prosecuted for much more. That is what they were able to get him for. He was sentenced in 2013, uh, I believe, to a 10-year prison sentence. It was 144 months, which is 12 years, and then there was some back and forth with that that we're not going to go into today over whether it was going to be 120 months or 144 months, but his scheduled release date was going to be February 2nd, 2023. Yes, and unfortunately for us, um, or unfortunately and for everyone, we learned, actually, we learned about this on my birthday when I was standing in line for the Paul McCartney concert. Um, that I was going to on my birthday that Jack Scott had been released from prison like nine months early. We're very mm-hmm. confused by this. Caught us by surprise. Sadie was actually planning a protest and rally type thing against his release, um, which was originally going to be in February. But now he has been out of prison for like four months for like the entirety of summer. So, yeah. And this yeah. this was a really big blow. This was um really difficult for me to process, but my attention soon turned to what I want to do now that he is out of prison. If he were going to live a quiet life, take care of his family, and never get behind a pulpit again, I would have no interest in ever interacting with him again other than to make sure that his story is known because I feel like that is just and fair. 
if he were going to get behind a pulpit again, attempt to pastor a church or lead a Christian ministry, that is the specific action that he could take that I would want to peacefully protest by standing across the street with signs and preferably music that he would hate. We don't know whether he is planning on living a quiet life or trying to get back into Christian ministry. And we would like to find out. I feel that one of the first things that we would need to know is what area of the country he is living in. This should be easy to find out because according to his original plea deal, he is required to be on supervised release and on registered on the sex offender registry for 10 years after his release from prison. But he's not registered. (laughs) Yeah, so that's basically the crux of it, because we've been checking pretty much every week uh, the the National Sex Offender Registry. I've been checking multiple times a week. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I've been checking every week on the National Sex Offender Registry, uh, looking up Jack Scop, seeing if we can find him. And we we haven't been able to. And this has been... like very problematic so it makes it hard for us to like keep tabs on him and keep tabs on what he's doing what like if he's trying to to pastor anywhere if Mm -hmm. he's trying to preach anywhere and again if if he is not going to ever try to ascend to leadership in a christian ministry i will happily leave him the alone it is it i but if he is going to attempt that uh, I am going to make a fuss about it. So one of the first things that I did when I realized that this registration thing was not happening as it needed to was download a copy of his original plea deal to fact check his registration requirement specifics. And I can read you from the original trial transcripts. Please do it. So this is from page 25 of the hearing transcripts. Uh, This is from his plea deal hearing. Okay, the judge says, let's go on to the fourth non-binding recommendation. There, the government and you are going to recommend that the court order as a mandatory condition of supervised release that you register as a sex offender and comply with the state sex offender registration requirements pursuant to Title 18 United States Code Section 3583D. And Title 42, United States Code, Section 16913. You've been advised and understand that under the Sex Offender Registration and Notification Act, a federal law, you must register and keep the registration current in each of the following jurisdictions. The location of your residence, the location of your employment, and if you're a student, the location of any school that you might be going to. And you understand that such registration would require that you provide information that includes your name, residence address, and names and addresses of any places where you will be an employee or student. You also understand, and this is maybe the most important part, you also understand that you must update the registration not later than three business days after any change in name, residence, employment, or student status. And finally, you understand that failure to comply with these obligations may subject you to prosecution for failure to register under federal law, Title 18, United States Code Section 2250, which is punishable by a fine or imprisonment and or imprisonment. Do you understand that? Scott responds, yes, sir, I do. The judge says... You further agree that as long as you remain on supervised release, you will provide written documentation as often as requested by your assigned probation officer and any sex offender registration, I'm sorry, that any sex offender registration remains in good standing. And Scott responds in the affirmative. Uh, That is, and that's from the original 
plea hearing and I have documentation that this is all in the original plea deal that Scott signed. I was able to download that. And so that's pretty airtight. He can't. Yeah. So I wanted to check. I felt like it was my responsibility to check that he is, in fact, required to register. I looked and did not see anything that makes me think that he that requirement would have somehow changed. I would think if that requirement had changed that there would be legal documentation of it. And I have not been able to find that. So I am assuming that he is still required to register. How is so how is he getting away with not showing up on the registry? So <clears throat> hold on one second. I want to make sure I have everything in the right place here. So we like you said, we have been checking on the National Sex Offender Registry. Um, I've also been checking on the registry in specific states where I suspect he might be, particularly Michigan, and he has not been showing up on any of those registries. The problem with the National Sex Offender Registry website is that to report noncompliance, you have to report it to the authorities in the jurisdiction where the noncompliant person is located. This, of course, becomes a catch-22 if you do not know where the noncompliant person is located. So I don't know where he is because he's not on the registry, but I can't report him as noncompliant because I don't know where he is. But I can't report him. (laughs) Can you tell that I have, like, metaphorically Uh, beat my head against a wall about this about a hundred times? Yeah, so this is actually... This is this is an insane system. And like in order to find somebody, you have to know their name and jurisdiction and you have to put your name, their name and jurisdiction info into the register. Like you can't just look up a list of sex offenders and click sort by release date. No, you like, can you search that, for somebody by their first and last name uh, or by their inmate number, which we also have for Scott, but he's not showing up under that either. Can they just doesn't he have, does he have to wear like an ankle monitor? No, or like not uh, that I know of. I don't think you can wear one of those for ten years. Well, can't they like microchip him like you would a cat? <laughs> that I mean, would be satisfactory. I mean, I think they should be able to like. I mean, you know, we talk about like unreasonable search and seizure and stuff like that. You know, whatever. But this man clearly he he has been convicted of a crime, so. I mean, there is legal standing to say this person's movements can be like tracked and restricted, especially because, you know, sex offenders, they are highly they, they are more likely to be become a, a recidivism uh, yeah. for, for recidivism. So, I mean, maybe it is a, a good idea that we should be tracking this guy's movements. So I don't know, maybe like put a, a microchip in his butt. Jeez, that would be awful if it happened to somebody for like drug possession, though. That's the only reason I couldn't support that. <laughs> Yeah, but for sex offenders, I mean, do that to him. Maybe, you know, on top of that, maybe then the IFB won't f*** with him anymore because the microchip is the mark of the beast. Oh, 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 that's good. That's good. I like that. In absence of a reliable way to report Jack Scop's evident noncompliance, I have emailed the original prosecutor for his case. Uh, I've emailed with her before, actually. If you remember back in the first family episodes, I read the letter to the judge that I wrote recommending that he not be given compassionate release way back in 2020. Uh, And I've read that letter on the podcast. I corresponded with her about that letter in the past. I have emailed her about 
his current non-compliance. I have not heard back from her. I kind of assume there just isn't anything she can do at this point because he we don't know if he would be in her jurisdiction. He probably isn't in her jurisdiction. And, uh, you know, it may just not be a prosecutor's job to track down people who are noncompliant with the registry. I don't know if she got my email and passed it on to his parole officer and just didn't have time to email me back about it. I just want to make it clear that I'm not mad at her over the the original prosecutor over this situation. It was just one of many shots in the dark that I have made. Didn't Jack Scopp get out by basically writing a letter trying to paint the prosecutor as like having a vendetta against him? Yeah. Do you remember why he said that she had a vendetta against him? No, I don't remember that. So actually have this. um, Because we haven't talked about this on the show. We've just made reference to it. No, we haven't gone into specifics about this. So, so um, okay. So here's what happened. Scott made an official request to be released in June of 2020, asking for a compassionate release for uh, COVID. And we have talked about that on the show. Uh, to, right, he, that's when you wrote the letter. He wrote this letter to the judge and he's like, my wife has left me. There's no one else who can take care of my parents. I'm so sad. And <coughs> to be clear, we empathize with the plight of Jack Scott's parents. Um, I'm so sorry that their son turned out to be such a dud and a criminal that he can't take care of them in their old age. And a pedophile. And a pedophile, right? That too. And as, but as I wrote to the judge in my letter in support of him not getting compassionate release, I, I wrote in that letter people who have committed crimes and go to jail miss out on a lot of family events and family responsibilities. Fathers miss out on spending time with their children and spending time with their parents. And this is not an excuse for him to get out of a get out of jail free card. And also, he has two adult children who can take care of his parents. That original compassionate release was denied. He wrote a second handwritten letter, and I've got it pulled up on my computer. It's dated January 23rd, 2021. And in this letter, he's just even more, what is that word? Penitent, maybe? No, because that implies repentance. Um, It was like crocodile tears. Yeah. And it's it's pretty much the same things that he said in the original letter. Here's a quote. Your Honor, may I please be allowed to go home now and attend to my parents' care? It's just, please, please. It's just, it's pathetic. And it does bring me a little bit of joy. <laughs> I, I Again, I uh, am not laughing at or snarking at his parents' conditions uh, or their very real care needs. It brings me a little bit of sadistic joy to see this man who was once so proud and so in control of everybody just having to grovel. That's the word I was looking for, groveling, to try to get out of jail early. So here's the quote about the prosecutor. The prosecutor's change of attitude towards me, I believe, is principally due to... Hold on, let me see. Change in attitude. Here, here's what he said. Your Honor, I realize my prosecutor is resisting my, pe- my t- petition. 
Her objection surprised me, mainly because she stressed in both the plea agreement and at my sentencing that a 10-year sentence was most satisfactory to my case. Had I received that 10-year sentence, I would already have been released by now, if not several months ago, due to my good time credits and halfway house. The prosecutor's change of attitude towards me, I believe, is principally due to my not assisting her in the prosecution of a dear friend of mine. The prosecutor offered me a sentence reduction if I helped. However, I was ignorant of his case as it was unrelated to mine. He was sentenced to 19 years without my help. So which case was that? Was that we've talked, uh, this is a case we've covered on the show. Tom, Tom Kimmel. It's Tom Kimmel. Oh, my God. So you're that was because so Jack Scott refused to roll on Tom Kimmel, who, uh, by the way, if you if you don't remember this, this was the personal finance teacher at Howes Anderson College who was running a Ponzi scheme. We did an episode on it back in like the spring of 21. Go look it up. It's it was truly a bonkers story. I, I mean, it, that has to be Tom Kimmel because that was around the same time and he was sentenced to 19 years. That sounds right. So it has to be him. <laughs> Yeah, well, guess what, Jack Scop? Sometimes in the justice system, you can make a deal to benefit yourself. And if you don't make a deal to benefit yourself, then you don't get the benefits of making that deal. So he's whining about the fact that he refused to rat on Tom Kimmel and that and now the prosecutor hates me for it. I feel like the Tom Kimmel thing isn't the reason why she hates you. Uh, Jack Scop. It's because no. you literally, like, you literally groomed a child uh, under the guise of like uh, of ch- of church counseling under for the guise God. of something that should be both professional and sacred. Yes, and then like less than twenty four hours after she reached the age of consent in the state of Indiana, you had sex with her. And then transported her across state lines to two different states and did the same thing there and then lied to everybody about it. And fooled staff members into doing your sex trafficking for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, This this guy is the scummiest of this. Plus, on top of all of that, he ran a cult where I think it's so funny that he's like, I I refuse to turn on my friend when he ran this whole cult based on people ratting each other out for like small offenses and keeping them afraid of each other. And and, like constantly like, you know, just just the, the level of just like crazy accountability to everybody for any little thing for like even thinking wrong. And you're like, no, I won't rat on my friend, even though he stole hundreds of thousands was it millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands it was low millions i think i don't remember off the top of my head from ifb church members by uh, lying to them about investment elderly and disabled ifb church members yeah you refused and he did so because basically you gave him the in and you said this is my guy he will help you to financial security and he will give me a percentage of what he gets off of you don't forget that part Scott was getting paid off from this. If you're a gangster, like go into business with Jack Scott. If you're like, if, I like, I guess if you're like into, into doing like illicit crime, illicit, like, like drug trafficking or something like that, or sex trafficking, Jack Scott's a guy you want to go into business with because he will not roll on you. He will hold it down. Okay. That's, that's true. But also <laughs> Jack Scott is the person who took photos of himself doing the illegal thing and then left his phone unlocked and that's how he got caught so maybe don't go into business with him yeah he's uh he may not be the smartest 
criminal. He would probably like, I mean, it's like the, the Trump January 6th thing where all of the text messages between all of the people are like, hey, do you think we should do this crime? And everyone's like, yeah, absolutely. And I fully understand that it's deeply illegal and it's probably going to get me into prison for terrorism or for sedition or something. Let's do it. Let's do it anyway. <laughs> like, I know full well this is illegal and we should do it anyway because somebody that we like might benefit. Like, that's li- like Jack Scoff is that kind of guy. So maybe don't go into business with him. Also, don't have him at your church because he's a f-ing creep. And we're we're going to get to that. Yeah. Did I answer your question about the prosecutor? I think I went off track a little bit there. Yeah. So Jack Scott wrote, wrote this handwritten letter to the judge saying the prosecutor hates me because I didn't roll on my friend. That's how he got out. He, I don't know if that's how he got out. Um, we don't know the circumstances of his release. I did look at all relevant legal documents and there is just, there is not publicly available a, explanation for why he got released i i pulled every single document that's publicly available there is there is not an official explanation for why he's out which we'll get to so (sighs) he was out and completely radio silent nobody knew where he was for over a month uh around father's day i think the day after father's day a picture popped up of him playing golf with his son and his son-in-law and the location was not clear. So we don't know exactly where he was. There's very good reason to think that he was in Michigan because the son-in-law lives in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The son lives in Ohio and he was, he was with both of them. So there's, there's real good reason to think that he's in that general area of the country. And most people think that he is probably uh, living with his parents in Michigan. So I had gotten a tip that Jack Scott may have gotten remarried after leaving prison. And I got this tip, I think like 12 weeks ago was the first time I heard it, like several months ago. And I didn't really believe it. I thought, oh, that's a rumor. I heard Mm. the same thing from a different person again in August. And I still thought, ah, it's probably just a rumor. Like we all know he's kind of a lecherous old man, but I don't I don't know. I don't know if I buy this with just zero evidence. Yeah, who in the f- is getting married to convicted pedophile Jack Scop on purpose? I I assume that their relationship must have began while he was in prison because Cindy's stuck by him for a little bit of his sentence, didn't she? Yeah, just a little bit. But then she divorced him, like, part of the way through. So she did, which is something I completely support. She is remarried, by the way. I don't know if that had happened yet when we recorded the first family episodes. I don't think it did. Right, because Jack Scott was like, my wife left me. Yeah. Um, Uh, She is. So just a a Cindy update. (laughs) She's remarried. She seems happy. She is ministering to people who have been in similar situations. The advice that she has for people is real Christian-y, but honestly, also very harmless. So we are very happy to keep her off of our radar and just hope she's recovering well. Her new husband, again, real Christian-y, but he seems nice and she seems happy. So that's that's really, it's fine. It's fine. I just hope she's doing well <laughs> and continues just to, to be harmless and try to live with, live her best life. According to Scop's disciplinary records, which I do have a copy of, there was an incident on November 2nd of 2013 
So actually a month after he got transferred to prison in Asheville, Kentucky, where he touched a female visitor inappropriately, presumably with her consent, uh, he lost telephone privileges for six months and lost visitation privileges for nine months for this. I Well, I do know, for a matter of fact, that the woman in question in this incident was not Cindy. And a month. He lasted a month in prison. And I have to suspect that maybe this is why Cindy divorced him shortly thereafter. F***ing animal. Like, imagine your husband gets sent to prison for being a pedophile and you stand by him. And then he's somehow cheating on you while he's in prison with another woman. Yeah. That is nuts. So just the audacity of this man. I'm he makes me sick. astounded. So to put together the timeline here with the rumors of him being remarried, according to everything I had ever heard, the woman involved in this disciplinary incident in 2013 was from Texas. I don't have proof of that, but I can tell you that I've been hearing it for almost 10 years since it happened. Uh, I do have his re-entry plan from March 25th, 2020. On the re-entry plan from 2020, this plan is like partially censored, but his number one emergency contact is a person whose name is censored, but is listed in the relationship section as friend. And the address is partially centered, censored, but the address is located in San Antonio, Texas. And on the written portion of the reentry plan, again, it has censored this person's name and their street address, but it states that he plans to be released and go to San Antonio, Texas. What I'm hearing now is that the woman he supposedly married after leaving prison is from Michigan, from his parents' church. And I have found a new picture of him. Uh, and I do know that that picture was absolutely taken in Michigan. So now I'm wondering, is this the same woman from the one involved in the disciplinary incident in 2013? Could it be a different person? Or is this the same person from Texas who maybe has now moved to Michigan to be with his parents and just waited for him in Michigan? Or are they in Texas together? Mm. Like, it's uh, hard to figure out. This is wild, man. Like... This, and this is a serious question for you, Sadie. Does being a convicted pedophile, a divorcee, a sex trafficker, like, do, do those things not hurt your marriage ability in the IFB? Or can you just say, I am filled with the Holy Spirit now and, like, you're good? This is a totally different thing, dude. Um, in the IFB in general, being divorced means that you should not get married again. There are a few exceptions. So if you are married and your partner cheats on you, the person who got cheated on can divorce them and can remarry in most segments of the IFB. Some segments are stricter and they say that it's it's one and done. Even if you get cheated on, you cannot remarry. Or even if you marry a molester, then you have to stick by them while they're in prison if you're IBLP. Right, the Debbie Pearl method. <sighs> I, I think in the mainstream, in most segments of the IFB, it's preferred that if you get cheated on, you stay with the cheater and try to fix them. But it is allowed in most parts of the IFB, if somebody cheats on you, you can divorce them and marry somebody else. The other main exception is... If you get divorced for reasons other than adultery, you cannot remarry until the person you divorced dies. 
and then you can remarry somebody else. Because if you get if you get divorced for any mm-hmm. reason other than adultery, it's not considered a valid divorce. So if you married somebody else in the eyes of the IFB, that's bigamy. Of course, Scop fits none of these qualifications. So under like the most of the IFB's rules, except for the very strictest, Cindy is perfectly fine to go remarry, uh, <laughs> which she has. Scop does not fit these qualifications. But he is surrounded by enablers who will let him do whatever he wants. So he he did the he did the cheating. Mm-hmm. He's the one who went to prison, and then he cheated again while he was in prison, and then got dumped while he was in prison. That's the that's what happened here. Yes. And then his ex wife remarried within the rules. So she is allowed to marry within the rules. He has done like everything. All of these things are against him, Mm -hmm. but he's just going to do whatever he wants because he's Jack Scop and he can preach and preach and preach anything. But then it's do as I say, not as I do. Right. Which is how he went to jail in the first place. So the second time. So I heard the marriage rumor the first time. I kind of dismissed it. I heard it the second time. I thought maybe, but I don't know. Hearing it for a second time made me think about, okay, fine, I'll look into it. I don't think this is true. I'll look into it. In the process of looking into it, I turned up a new picture of Scop on a social media page. Uh, it is more recent than the Father's Day golfing picture. It's from July, and it's a family picture of Scop with many relatives. In this picture, there's a woman that I don't recognize, and I can't confirm as part of his family, clutching onto his arm. I went through the piece. So I knew about half the people in the picture because they're his like his children and grandchildren. Everyone else in the picture, I went through and figured out exactly who they are. And it turns out the only person I can't identify in this picture is this woman who is clutching on to him very tightly. So I looked into trying to search marriage licenses in the state of Michigan. It turns out that, that the state of Michigan doesn't keep vital records online you have to know what county the marriage occurred in in order to search them. So that was unhelpful on the same infuriating level as trying to report someone for noncompliance with the sex offender registration. So here's what I did and what two good friends, you know who you are, helped me with. I went through every contact, every contact on said social media app of the person who posted this picture to try to identify this mystery woman. I checked every one of their uh, contacts, uh, like 400 of them. I went through a couple times. So I was keeping an eye out for anything that could potentially be Jack Scop's sock account. And I was also looking for any profile that could potentially match the woman in the photo. And that came up dry. I looked at every person who had interacted with the original post. I looked through their friends could not identify this mystery woman. So for now, I have come to the conclusion that both Scop and whoever this woman is, whether she is a girlfriend, a wife, a fiance, or a friend of the family who's for some reason clutching him, are off of social media for the time being. So then, because I had heard that this supposed new wife was a member of his parents' church in Michigan, I went to the church Facebook page and manually looked through literally hundreds of photos for almost the last 10 years, but I did not see anyone matching the mystery woman in those photos. 
the the, the theory is that this woman came from uh, Scott's parents' church and that she's his new Maybe. wife. Possibly. Possibly. So I'm just, I'm trying to imagine trying to match make for your son who is a convicted pedophile and currently in prison for being a a, a sex trafficker. Like, I mean, like, I guess Jim Bob managed to make a match for Josh, even after all the, the things went down with his sisters. I don't know. Do you think that's harder or easier for, but Jack Scott is older. You can't play that off so much as like, oh, well, he was just like a 15 year old boy. And yeah, Jack Scott was like, he was like 50. I, and this He's, is this is a bit gross, but um, I think he probably had more than one prison groupie writing him letters while he was in prison, and then he just picked one to settle down with when he got out. Why did he say, "Oh, send me a picture of you," and then he picked like that, whoever that thought is was the complete hottest. speculation? But that's just my gut feeling. <laughs> Here's another theory, and I'm just connecting this right now. So you know how you were. While you were being uh, uh, persecuted to the fullest extent of the law for a consensual side hug with your uh, boyfriend at the time, uh, Jack Scott's son was getting was was finding people to write letters to the judge on behalf mm-hmm. of his father, um, Ken Scott. Yeah, who was also one of the people who was who was out golfing with Jack after his release, um, and was also in the family picture that I turned up just to sew that all together. What what if this woman or, or these women that he's meeting are women who found him because of the letter writing to the judge? So they wrote the letter to the judge and it didn't happen in there. And they wrote a letter to Jack saying, I wrote a letter on your behalf. Uh, I, I think you're innocent. And then he's getting letters. So he's writing letters back to them. I think that's totally possible. I do know. And I used to have some emails that he had sent out of the jail or out of prison I don't know where I stashed these <laughs> digital copies of emails and letters that he sent from prison, uh, so I can't read them to you, unfortunately. But I do know that he had access to the prison email system and was sending and receiving emails on a regular basis. I also have a snapshot of some of his trust fund records, like telling me how much money was deposited for him in prison. And I can tell you... I have this. I want to know this. This is interesting. I have like a bunch of PDFs on my screen of of all of this stuff. So I can tell you that in the six month, six month period preceding the six month period preceding March 25th, 2020, the deposits into his trust fund in jail were $5,894 and 70 cents. Wow. So that'll get you a lot of packs of top ramen. Um, Almost a thousand dollars a month. $1,000 A thousand dollars a month in prison. I mean, you can. What, what's it, what are you spending a thousand dollars a month on on in prison? Stamps like, to send all the letters. I assume prison commissary can't cost that. I mean, much. it is really, really. Um, there, the stuff in there is ridiculously expensive because of private prisons, which are terrible. If you've been to prison, uh, will you uh, send us a message and let us know how much a can of tuna is and how much like a. a, a a pack of uh, Top Ramen is, how much a cup of noodles well, is. Well, Scop also um, uh, claimed, and he claimed this consistently for years, so I tend to believe it more than some of his other claims, but he claimed that he had, uh, I think, ulcerative colitis or IBS or something along those lines, and he claimed that he needed to be on a really particular diet to manage that, so I imagine that he was having to 
kind of buy a lot of his own food from the commissary, and I hope he was really sick all the time. Prison, I mean, prison food won't. Ugh, that's yeah. Mm. So my my real question is: so how is convicted pedophile Jack Scop, who is rotting in jail for like a decade, getting this much interest from women? This is baffling to me. Like. This is it. I I know you don't get it. This is so hard to explain to people who never met him. I literally I was trying to explain this to my therapist the other day. Um, I just I don't know if most people have met someone like him. He is really really charismatic. It's like when you meet him, especially within the IFB world, it's like meeting the president. And I'm you know I'm sure really? yeah, and I'm sure that's like fallen off, but the. The natural charisma and people skills that he has combined with his position of power were it was really something back in the day. But he's not even like talking to these women in person. Like he can't do the eye contact thing. He, he like it's all going to be by correspondence. Well, he's also he's a he's a talented writer. But I fully assume also that whoever mm-hmm. this woman or women might be, I, I fully assume they had met him in person previous to him going to prison. Sure. I mean, but I don't know. I beg to differ on the talented writer thing because I've read two of this man's books and he writes like um, if you he's writing at a fifth grade level, but he and he sounds insane when he says anything. Well, I think he wrote Dating with a Purpose, but I do not think he wrote Healing for the Inner Hurts. Uh, I think that would that one was ghost written or just maybe transcriptions of him talking if you have the stomach for it, and it is very, very difficult to read, but if you have the stomach for it, read the letters that he wrote his victim. They're in the um, some of the court documents. And I think I've read excerpts on the podcast before, and I've remarked, I think, that some of the things he said would have been fairly romantic if they were not written to an underage victim by a pedophile creep who had power over her. I don't know. I'm just trying I'm trying to think of the most personally charismatic person that I've ever met and I I can't figure it out. Like I'm I'm just telling I, you his baseline is being very charismatic and very manipulative and then once you add on the social respect that he gained within the IFB movement if you somehow had still deluded yourself into believing that he's innocent or that he can be fixed, then in your eyes, he might never have lost all that respect and veneration. So I think people are looking at him through those rose-colored glasses, and he's retained a lot of the power that he had. So I want to get back to tracking down this marriage tip and let you know where I am at this point. I looked real quick for a marriage license in Indiana, didn't come up with anything there. Michigan has this handy little system where you cannot search public record marriage records by the whole state. You have to go county by county. I think I told you about that. You can order a certified copy through the state if you know the date of the marriage and both people's names and the county in which it occurred, none of which I have. So I just decided so I just started to check by county in southern Michigan, <laughs> southwestern Michigan. So where I've gotten so far. I can tell you that if there is a marriage, a hypothetical marriage, it did not happen in Ottawa County, Kalamazoo County, St. Joseph County, Berrien County, or Allegan County. Oh. Uh, Van Buren County, Cass County, or Branch County are still technically on the table. Uh, Van Buren and Branch Counties do not have an online search available, and the Cass County search is offline right at the moment. So I'll keep you updated. <laughs> wow. When we're saying that Sadie's been thorough about this guys like yeah it, 
<laughs> it's been a lot of just like hyper focusing on a thing for four hours and coming up with nothing and then getting mad and not doing anything for another week and then that cycle repeating. <laughs> but I've, I've been trying to write down like everywhere I look and everywhere I check. So, so here's the thing. So we've been trying for months to try and find Jack Scop on the sex offender registry and we haven't been able to find him. We've been checking week, actually like multiple times a week if you're Sadie, just like once a week if you're me. Because as a condition of parole, as we said earlier, he is required by law to register as a sex offender or he has to go back to jail and pay a fine. And we haven't found him on the registry. And there's a couple of possibilities about what this could mean. And I, I, I want to like take this time now to discuss the likelihood of those things. So number one, and I think this is probably the greatest possibility, is that he just hasn't registered. I, I think this is the one. And I can tell you why when we talk about the other possibilities. Okay, so you, so we think this is the one because if you think about it, it's the it's the easiest one to get away with, to just like come out of prison and then disappear, kind of. And the the justice system is so swamped, and the parole system is so swamped with people that are like constantly getting into trouble that his parole officer probably like just probably isn't able to track him down and right. like go to the and um, the trouble just him. just to tie up the loose ends of his parole officer i have a contact who says that they know who his parole officer is but they're not willing to share that information with me right now the best i can find online is that to find out who somebody's parole officer is you have to know where they are so here we go again <laughs> you could just disappear and they like well guess i'll find out about one. it if he yeah. comes through the system again just like just lord let yeah. jack scott get pulled over for a dui in in a scenario where he didn't hurt anybody in this dui <laughs> let yeah. him no let him get pulled over for having a tail light out or something <laughs> let him get arrested under suspicion of shoplifting just something, you know? That's not going to happen. He's an old white guy. He lives in Michigan. I know, I know. I know. It, it, listen, I have fried my brain on this case. Let me have my moment of hopefulness. So, number two possibility is that he has registered as a sex offender and they just haven't updated the registry in three months. I do not think this is likely and I will tell you why. I used the address search feature on the sex offender registry website from the Michigan sex offender registry website to look up a random sex offender in the part of Michigan where I strongly suspect Scop is. I then looked into that guy's case when he was convicted, when he was released, and I found out that his most recent required reporting date was June of 2022. His registration showed up on the website as updated less than a week after his most recent required reporting date. And I did hmm. a couple. I looked into a couple cases of people in the area where I think he is, and their registry seems to update pretty quickly after anything is added or changed on it. Okay, so everyone else's sex offender registry is getting updated just fine. It's just not Jack's. Right. So I... I, su I suppose that it's possible that a new entry in the system takes some time to update. But as, as time goes on, that seems less likely to me. And it seems like other people's profiles are getting updated just fine. And then I, I also um, took the names 
and zip codes of the people that I located on the Michigan State Registry and cross-referenced those with the National Registry just to make sure there wasn't any discrepancy and that they showed up at the same times on the National Registry, and they did. Because the National Registry, I'm pretty sure it pulls from the Michigan Registry, but I just wanted to cover my bases there. Huh. Okay. So what's our other theory? Because I got kind of obsessed with this one last week, and then I was able to debunk it. So the third theory is that he changed his name. This was this was like our crackpot This theory. was like my thing for like a week. I was like, he's got to have changed his name. And how do I find And like, I went and looked and looked and looked for name change records. And then I realized that under the Michigan Probate Code of 1939, Section 711.1, Section 1, quote, the family division of the circuit court for a county may enter an order to change the name of an individual who has been a resident of the county for not less than one year and who, in accordance with subsection 2, petitions in writing to the court for that purpose showing a sufficient reason for this proposed change and that the change is not sought with a fraudulent intent. If the individual who petitions for a name change has a criminal record, the individual is presumed to be seeking a name change with a fraudulent intent. The burden of proof is on a petitioner who has a criminal record to rebut the presumption. So he has not legally changed his name in the state of Michigan because you have to be a legal resident for one year before you can change your name. And if you have a criminal record, you are presumed to be changing your name with fraudulent intent and you have to prove that you aren't. Also... Previously in this episode where we were reading out the like the the part where it says that he would have to register as a sex offender. It also said that he would have to to tell the basically to to put update with his registry with the fact that he changed his name right? so that you could. And other people that I looked into on the registry had registered aliases. So even if he had changed his legal name, I believe that his original name would still have showed up under an alias. So you could still search Jack Scop and it would pop up somebody like somebody else's mm-hmm. name, like John Scop or Jack Slop or <laughs> or uh, Jack's Cop. I'm or, just saying, you know, like, I think if he other if he ever changed his name, he would probably change it to Jack Allen or James Allen because Allen is his middle name. And I just interesting. This is that is my absolute crackpot, no proof theory. But just from the idea of him, I have in my head, I think he would change it to something very similar to his current name, and probably use his middle name as a last name. This is like a Luke Skywalker situation <laughs> where, like, the, you know what I'm saying? Where they're like, "What should we do? Let's give this guy the same name and hide him on the planet where his dad came right. from." You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, but. So I also checked in Texas um, for reasons described above in this episode. And what I found is that Texas, I don't think they have a residency requirement for changing a person's name. That's extremely sketchy. But they do. Well, I mean, you have to be a resident. They don't have a length of time that you have to be a resident. So you can move there and then immediately change your name. Also, it's Texas. Mm. You can do what you want as long as you're not LGBT or have a uterus. Right, exactly. What I did find, though, is that Texas does not usually grant name change felons, name changes to felons until two years post-release, except under very specific conditions, which I don't think Scott would qualify for. So here is, you want to hear my crackpot crackpot oh theory? It's like, let's, let's do it. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't told Sadie about this one yet. So this is like a live react here on the podcast. Witness protection. 
For what? For who? For what thing that he witnessed? I don't know. See, we, we don't know about this. Like, like I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, like reasons why somebody would get out of jail early and go completely off the grid. Because he, well, he was in. If he was in regular prison, this would make sense. But he was in a white collar prison. Like, what could he have seen there that would need protecting? Well, it wouldn't have been something from when he was in prison. It would have been something from before prison. So maybe they're looking into some sketchy IFB thing, like IFB associated. Okay, thing. what if they're the investigating could- Dave Hiles and he learned his lesson by not ratting on Kimmel and then he went and ratted on his brother in law? Right. So think about like what happened in, in 21 is we got a new uh, we got a new president. We got a new Justice Department. We got a new FBI. The new FBI, like the, the old FBI and the old Justice Department, like if you were a Christian fundamentalist, you could do pretty much whatever the f- you wanted. They'd look the other way because they didn't want to piss off the Christians. And they were just like, if you're a Christian, then we'll let you do whatever you want because we like you. The new ones, uh, the, the new FBI and the new Justice Department, it seems like they actually like kind of give a shit about enforcing some laws sometimes i don't know Hmm. yet to be seen but like say in 21 they're like okay what if we knock a year off this guy's sentence and we get this other guy who is definitely like like what if jack scott knows where the briefcase is i mean it wouldn't surprise me what if jack scott knows about the briefcase and knows where it is and he's like and they're like letting him out to so Here's so we don't know like what that is, uh, and we don't know where to find him. But if you are a criminal and Jack Scop has witnessed you doing a crime, <laughs> then maybe I, and and you don't want to do like five years in prison, ten years, however many years of prison it is for whatever crime Jack Scop has witnessed you committing. I don't know. There might be something that you want to do about that. You might want to look into the. Um, so we gotta <laughs> we gotta wrap this one up, but I really want to ask, yeah. like, why does this matter? Why am I spending so much time and energy on this? Talk to us about that because it really seems like, at least for me, since this guy has <laughs> gone out, there, there's been like a single-minded focus that you've been mm-hmm. and I wanna, having towards. Him. I've I've been really thinking about, you know, we like to joke around, but I've been I've been thinking in a very serious sense, why this matters to me and what are the ethics of the extent to which I'm going to try to track this guy down and what are my motivations? Because I I felt like it was time for a bit of introspection on why am I doing this? So first, I wanted to say that I did check the legal definition of stalking. Uh, Fortunately, I am very much in the clear. Stalking implies a desire to cause someone harm or to make them feel afraid or to put them in a position where a reasonable person would fear for their own safety. And I do not think I'm doing any of that just for legal purposes. And and Mm. to be clear about my intentions, I'll tell you right now, if I find a verified address for Jack Scott, I am not going to put it. I'm not going to publish it on the podcast. I'm not going to put it on our social media. I am not. I don't want anyone to try to harass him or hurt him in person. I don't want anybody to send him mean letters or mean emails. Um, If you find a Twitter, you can send him mean tweets. That's fine. Uh, Don't threaten harm, but you can like be mean. Uh, Tell him he's dumb or something. So what am I trying to do? I'm trying to locate what county he is in so that I can report him to the proper authorities for noncompliance. 
like I said at the top of the show, if he never gets behind a pulpit again, if he never tries to lead a ministry again, I don't ever want to see his face again. That's fine and good with me. What I am attempting to do is create a structure of accountability so that I can hold him accountable if he ever tries to step into a pulpit again. Why is it so important to me, though, that he's, that I accomplish this by trying to force him to serve out his supervised release and his term on the sex offender registry? I think I've been openly critical enough of the criminal justice system and open about my general disdain for the prison system in the United States that listeners would be aware of my feelings on that. So why why is this the avenue through which I want to accomplish my goals of trying to keep him out of pulpits? Well, the primary reason that I'm pursuing this avenue is the peace that having him behind bars brought to people who were harmed by him. I've heard from so many IFB survivors that knowing where he was and knowing he wasn't in a position of church leadership where he could harm more people brought them a lot of comfort. I know through very reputable sources that his specific victim felt a lot of peace knowing that he was in prison and that she is in a very anxious state since his release over not knowing where he is physically located in the world. So for her, but also for all of us who were emotionally affected by him on a much smaller scale, I believe that it is only right for us to have the peace of knowing where he is and knowing that there are eyes on him. Second, the reason that I am pursuing his registration is for the protection of churches that he may try to attend or influence. As much as I criticize the IFB system, and I believe I'm very right to do so, I don't wish harm on the members of any particular IFB church or of any Christian church or of any church or group of people of any religion. I believe that his registration would give pastors an opportunity to protect their congregation. Some pastors and probably IFB pastors for the most part, of course, will know what he did and they will choose to accept him and allow him in their church. And I can't do anything about that other than make information about him and his crime accessible so that members of that church will be able to find if they don't have that information. But I feel that other pastors, especially pastors outside of the IFB, might have him show up in their church without knowing who he is. And if his registration as a sex offender gives those pastors an opportunity to act honorably and protect their church, I would want them to have the opportunity to do so, whether they're going to take it or not. It's for the protection of any place that he decides to work. It's for the protection of a school district that he wants to buy a house near. It's for the protection of innocent people who may find themselves in his path because he has never expressed repentance for what he did in a way that feels satisfactory or genuine to me. And he has never said anything that convinces me that he will not reoffend. Finally, and I think most personally, most selfishly, it's about the integrity of the thing. Jack Scott and the system that he helped shape were all about doing things right, following through, having honesty and integrity and grit, the spirit and the letter of the law and all that. It doesn't surprise me one bit that he is suddenly unwilling to apply those standards to himself, but I think that he should. 
I don't think a person should be able to hold other people to strict, unyielding standards and rules and then drop that philosophy when it comes to himself. I don't think he deserves to be let off easy. I don't think he deserves to slip through the cracks. He has not convinced me that he's not a safety risk to individual people around him. And as deficient as our justice system is, as many problems as I have with the way that it functions, I do think that Jack Scott being on the sex offender registry has a possibility of protecting people who could become victims. And that's where I've come to at this point when I'm thinking through my own motivations and my own ethics. Um, I would never tell you that it's not somewhat motivated by personal revenge, but I do think that genuinely that is not the only motivation for me. I just want to say that just because it's motivated by revenge doesn't mean that there's nothing wrong with that, man. You can, oh, like, I agree. I, I, don't know if, yeah. I don't know how I would feel if that were my only motivation, though. I, I really wanted to kind of reset myself to, if that's one of my motivations, I'm okay with that. I don't know if I'd be so okay with it if that were my only reason. I do feel like there's a very Christian thing about like, oh, I don't want to do anything out of revenge. Doing things out of revenge is bad, but like. Well, yeah, vengeance you know, is mine. I shall repay, saith the Lord. We were all made to like memorize that verse. Look, man, like there's a lot of times when, I mean, you know, it's like if if sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And I mean, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have to say about it personally. Because, you know, there is, we do know about this. We do know about IFB churches that like specific ones that are notorious for allowing people who have been convicted of this sort of thing back in front of parishioners. Yeah. And back in front of like the, a congregation and, and invited there to preach as like guest speakers. There are specific churches who are known for doing that. And it's the sort of thing where if that's going to happen, it'll happen. And then we won't hear about it until three or four days afterwards, or like a week afterwards, until it comes out on social media from somebody who said, hey, this guy just preached at my church. And because they would, of course, they're not going to advertise it beforehand because then people are going to show up and be mad about it. See, the thing is that no amount of social pressure that I am able to apply is going to do anything for a IFB pastor who wants Jack Scott to come preach at his church. But the situation that I see happening from my experience is that that pastor is probably speaking to his congregation about Jack Scott, telling them not to read articles about him not to get any information about him. Well, don't listen to the worldly media. You know how they twist everything. And the world has persecuted this Christian man of God. And we're all going to rally around him and show him our support as he moves back into the ministry. And there could be people in that church who do not know the extent of what Scott did. And having him on the registry and making this information about him accessible, maybe could save a family who is in that church where the pastor is going to accept Scott, the pastor is going to not properly supervise him. What if there's a family in that church who has teenage daughters? And having him on the registry and making this information out there prevents that family from accepting Scott into their lives and prevents one of their kids from being victimized. Right, because there's also laws saying that if it if there's a school mm-hmm. 
like a lot of these churches will have a a a a Christian school attached to them if they're connected through the same overarching organization then they can't that they, they can't have anybody who is a registered sex offender on staff right but there are ISB so, pastors who are just going to ignore that and pay somebody under the table and tell their church members not to look up any information and control the situation to allow Scop way more non-accountability than he should have in that situation and there's nothing like there's nothing i can do about that i can there i have no social power over ifb pastors but if i can speak to the families who are in those churches and maybe help them protect their own children then maybe i can make it harder for him to ever victimize anyone again and I know that we have a lot of listeners in a lot of different places around the country. And so if we got word that he was going to be preaching somewhere, then we could, you know, we could coordinate with people who are very passionate about this to have some sort of demonstration so that the people who are coming out of the church who may have been told by their pastor, don't listen to anything the worldly media says. They'll come out of the church and they will see, you know, people holding signs that say Jack Scop is a pedophile. Jack Scop is an abuser. Mm-hmm. Jack Scop is this and that and the other thing. We say no to him. We don't want him in our community. Right. So that that is kind of the the angle that I'm going for at this point. I just wanted to, I, I've got to wrap this one up because Chuck's going to wake up soon. But I just wanted to wrap this one up with a, a statement of where I'm coming from ethically and what my intentions are with this and why I perceive that I am still chasing this so hard. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening to this show. Thank you so much for listening to this update episode. Um, we'll be back with our regular scheduled programming next week. I think next week we have like listener questions uh, coming up with. Yes, um, we have the conclusion of the how to series with listener questions. We got a bunch of really good ones. So, we so we're going to try to do them justice. Uh Unlike the justice that was done to Jack Scott, because he really should have gotten a lot more time in prison. Uh, but. If you like our show, if you're a fan of our show, you can join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. Uh, you can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. Follow the podcast on social media at Facebook and Instagram. It is at leaving Eden podcast on Twitter. It is at leaving Eden pod. Sadie, you want to plug your social media? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. And you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-A-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you so much, uh, Jack Scott for Prison 2022. Uh, Talk to you guys later. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.